Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, Comedy Film Nerds Ep 324. Ha- uh, hotel room episode, undisclosed location. Undisclosed location. <laughs> uh, we're not in the city of San Francisco. No. We can't no. afford those hotels. We're, yeah, we're in a hostel somewhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Wow. Man, you weren't kidding. You are thrown off by a hotel room. Yeah, yeah, that's the weirdest thing. You said it before it started. I'm like, well, they're just goofing around. You have yeah. no fucking idea no, what you're going to say. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not used to this. I don't, I don't know understand. what to do. It's so weird. Um, so we're here for the San Francisco uh, Documentary Festival, and we're very excited. We had the uh, first earbud screening on Saturday, and it was amazing. I want to thank everybody yeah. for coming out. A lot out. of you guys came out. That was yeah. really Some cool. of you drove up from L.A., which was really, really cool. Our assistant um, editor, uh, Kevin, came up, and... Um, Julia, who's in the movie, actually, mm-hmm. they drove. Julia W. D. Harrison came mm-hmm. out. Uh, this guy, we were walking like a block away from the theater, maybe fifteen minutes or so before the movie was starting. This guy walks up and he had a Han shot first shirt on, and he goes, "Hey, Chris and Graham." He goes, yeah. "So I'm pumped yeah. to see this." He goes, "I'm bringing my daughters. I've had to go to so many of their dumb movies as kids." And there's these two like thirteen year old girls <laughs> standing right there. He's like, "So I'm making them come to see this. This yeah. is great." And he just had this like, "Dad." Like, <laughs> and they're just texting each other. You know they are. Yeah, Look at it. it just LOL, OMG, dad's yeah, an embarrassment. Dad's an embarrassment. Yeah. But maybe our movies actually are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they filled out ballots for the audience award. Yeah, I don't give a fine. shit as long yeah. as they voted for earbuds. Um, so that was cool. We had a great Q&A uh, later tonight. Uh, Tuesday, June 7th um, is the last, well, there's only two, the yes. second to la- the second and last screening at mm-hmm. SF DocFest, which is at 9.15 tonight at the Roxy Theater. If anybody yes. happens to download this, mm-hmm. be in the San Francisco area and have a couple hours. And for somehow forgot, Russ been talking forgot. about it for the last yeah, month. Yeah, maybe this is the one episode you've listened to <laughs> in the last month, you've just rejoined us, or hey, just found out about us. Yes. So um, get in that car. Get the fuck down to the Roxy, bitch. Um, there's a you can take the Bart in there. There's a lot, a lot of options. It actually runs right into the Roxy. Right. The Bart. Yeah. <laughs> Let you off right in front of the screen. Uh, that is the voice of our uh, guest and uh, longtime writer for the site. Been involved in many aspects of comedy film nerds and has a podcast of his own. Uh, Mr. And is in earbuds. And is in earbuds. Mm-hmm. Heavily featured in earbuds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Mike Schmidt, everybody. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> Hotel room episode. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this uh, festival has been a lot of fun, but we've also been doing a lot of cool stuff here, too. We actually we did our first um, fan spoiler app for mm-hmm. Popstar, which right. was really, really fun. With Diana. Um, with Yeah, Diana Rojic. And we uh, we saw it, and then we uh, we went to the food court. Rojic Sconard. Rojic Sconard. There this we is go. It's a hyphen name. Now let's. I now I apologize. I'm new. I'm, I'm imagine me as the new guy who just downloaded this week's episode. Walk me through this uh, episode with a person who we've never heard of before. What happened? Why? It was really really uh, great. We I had done a Kickstarter for the graphic novel, and we put a tier for a thousand dollars where a fan could watch a movie with Graham and I. Then we'll record a spoiler app with them afterwards. They picked so the movie. They picked the movie. So this is a listener who mm-hmm. uh, who could pick the movie and go with you guys and then participate in a taping of Comedy Film Nerds after to talk about said movie. Yes. They were, That's mm-hmm. pretty great. It's pretty yeah, awesome. It's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. she picked um, 
pop star. And I, I have to say, uh, I wasn't really on board with that pick, but that didn't matter. I was like, eh, I don't know. I'm not How much did you give again? Uh, a thousand. thousand. You were so on board with that pick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if she said, watch my high school fucking graduation yeah. film. I would have gone. Yeah, that's yeah, sure. Logistically, 100%. Yeah. 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 Financially, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Thematically, artistically, fine. I'm glad she picked it, because I think mm-hmm. you and I were both in the same the same way we were like i saw the trailer for this and was like okay i don't like yeah. dislike andy sandberg i feel the same way neutral but <laughs> sometimes he's funny sometimes mm. i'm like okay movie was great yeah it, it was, was hilarious really funny i and was i was really happy to uh to, to that she picked it because i'm like oh you know what this is a movie i wouldn't normally have seen and now i enjoyed it and also she was a great guest yeah um mm-hmm. so listen that'll drop in a couple days it's the uh, pop star never stop stopping uh spoiler up with diana uh rojic scottard yes Scottard. and i found a little bit of trivia now this is a rumor i'm not sure if this is true or not but uh then by all means go forward yes the uh <laughs> The naked person in the movie uh, was Judd Apatow, who you don't see his face. Oh, <laughs> so that'd be great. I, I would um, go see I would, Judd's uh, crank. Yeah, you see Judd Cock. Yeah, Judd yeah, Cock. Yeah, 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 you'll see Judd Cock. So I, um, I would take that with a grain of salt. That rumor. <laughs> Uh, the rumor, not, yes. the, not Judd Cock. Yeah, Cock, he got a dick full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. shake <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, as no matter how big and powerful, would you really want to do that? If there's something, maybe you're so big and powerful, you're like, yeah, yeah, maybe, take my maybe dick on screen. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah, are you saying it wasn't a big and powerful crank? Are you saying it wasn't it wasn't worthy of an appetite? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, because you guys are like, ah, maybe you're so big and powerful, you don't mind showing your tiny penis. It's like, yes. really? Okay, well. No, I wasn't a tiny cock. It was a no. decent sized crank. Just or, yeah, average. So it could have been a stunt cock. We don't know. <laughs> nah, it's Apatow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't care. I'm on board. Because if that's not a thing, we're starting it now. That's right. a thing. <laughs> grain of salt cock, Apatow. It's a <laughs> Uh, hashtag grain of cock. Grain of cock. Hashtag grain of cock. I'm going to write that down for the show notes. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. A, it was. Um, is it an absurdist comedy or is it played straight? How is it? Because I mean, it seems like it's I mean, played, just the premise itself. Okay, go ahead. It's played straight. Yeah, and that's why it's. it's that's why it's good. funny. Because what they do is they um, they do it like you know the record labels produce these quote unquote documentaries for these big name sure. pop stars you know tours. And um, so it's starting out like that. And, you know, I've been blowing up and he starts out in this in the, in a boy band called the Style Boys with a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and they break up and he goes on a solo career and he blows up. And, you know, so now he's re- getting ready to release a new album and it's sort of like that. And and the thing and, and again, we go into more detail on the spoiler. Rip, but like Chris and I are both watching this going, uh, I hope this isn't too much like Spinal Tap. Right, because that's how it starts. Because that's how it starts. And mm-hmm. that's, if you remember, two docs that came out in the 90s, and God Spoke and Fear of a Black Hat. Funny mockumentaries. God Spoke was about independent filmmaking, had a lot of great jokes in it. Fear of a Black Hat was about rap music. Both of them were beat for beat Spinal Tap. Right. right. Like, no, I mean, mm-hmm. a, a guy dies, just like the drummer kept blowing up in Spinal Tap. Like, it was, mm-hmm. and I remember those, that was the one thing of both of those movies. I went, God, there were so many funny jokes, but man, they just. But boy, Fear of a Black Hat, it, it lapped CB4. Because I remember CB4 mm-hmm. was going to be the funny, like, rap movie. And I mean, mm-hmm. Fear of a Black Hat is hysterical. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I, it, I mm-hmm. thought it was so great when I saw it. Well, again, there's it, it, both of those. And again, and God Spoken and Fear of a Black Hat have great jokes and they're they're funny mockumentaries for right. sure. 
the one the one you know mark against them I would say is that they just beat for beat Spinal Tap. So this had a lot of great inside jokes mocking um, the current pop star because but then. Then went in a different direction. Right when it was starting to be a little too spinal tappy, they went in a different direction. Like they were aware of it. They were very aware of it, which was cool. And there's a lot of great inside jokes. And so to answer your question about did they play it straight, yeah, because they interviewed actual people like Usher and, and you know, 50 Cent. And they acted – they were themselves as though they were in a documentary about a real pop star talking. And they were like, oh, yeah, man, I, I – you know – that first song, I, that was it. That got me into the business. You know, like they talked, they talked about him in that way. But there's just great jokes, and he spoofs um, a lot of people. And there's, there's a lot. I, I was surprised by it, and it's a funny movie. And there's a lot of laugh out loud moments. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool film. So it was, it was really good. We're glad we saw it. Thanks, Diana. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Diana. You're awesome. Um, it just shows you this, like, you guys that came out to the earbud screening saturday i'm sure most of you were kickstarter donors and then diana doing this thing to help your graphic novel yeah it was awesome it, it was so cool and it was always really great because you know we don't get to have one-on-one <laughs> film <laughs> conversations with all of you you know but we right. got to do that and it was a really mm-hmm. it was a really cool thing so and there are there are two more on deck so yeah. we'll be um we'll be setting those up as well so let's talk about uh, we've got a sponsor this episode. Oh, yeah, touchofmodern.com. Very excited. Uh, Father's Day is coming up. You want to make sure you get something special for Dad. And there's re- a lot of really cool stuff. There's tech gadgets. There's home brewing kits. That's like a big thing now. Home brewing. Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot of times with home brew, there's like different levels of kits. Like you know, you've got a starter kit. Then when you really get into it, you you know you buy more equipment. And uh, you know, it's like beer Legos. It's really, <laughs> you know, you start out with a little set. I'm like, well, if you like it, oh, no, now you can get the $300 Star Destroyer, you know, whatever. Well, it was funny talking about Actually, that is a craft beer I've had, the Star Destroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good idea. Well, I remember, I mean, part of Earbuds, and this was a, a, um, a cool whole day or two of interviews we did with the Brewing Network yes. guys that didn't even make it into the film. But we were opened up into that world of craft brew, and right. those guys are for real. And I think mm-hmm. you know you can go to Touch a Modern and start that whole. There's a steak champ. There's a steak yes. essentials <laughs> thing here. There, um, there's tactical gear, fashion, men's fashions and accessories, uh, and there's new sales every single day. You could check it out. Well, that's the thing, and we've talked about it before. They they um, every sort of week or so they rotate stuff out. So. What they do is they, these aren't Touch of Modern's products. They make deals with all these really sort of cool, right. a mm-hmm. lot of sort of independent companies. And they get like a limited number of stuff and then they cut the price way down. Mm-hmm. Like those bike shoes I got, I've been using them. They were $100 bike shoes that I think I got for 50 Right. So, I mean, that's... And if you like something, they do. it does go away in like a, a short amount of time. Like I remember I saw some really cool like... 50 sci-fi art prints mm-hmm. like with some and you know I'm like oh I'll get those maybe like tomorrow I was too busy and then they were gone the next day so as you see something you like uh, you definitely got to jump on it there's no um, there's no initiation fee mm-hmm. there's no membership dues or anything like that you put your email in you join you are all set you can uh, take advantage of these bargains right away Touch- sand resistant beach towels 
Really? What the hell is that? That could change my life. You know how much sand I bring into my house? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) My car and house are just way too much sand. These are cool-looking towels. But you also have a sandbox in your house, though. Yeah, it's... I mean, I have sand fights. I throw it in my house. And... Let's be honest. You're homeless. You live on the beach. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Things have gone awry. You live under a, a, a dock. I do... So I really need a sand towel. Yeah, you do. So Wrap I... yourself up so you can sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so go to touchofmodern.com, you guys, and refer a friend and get 20 bucks. So refer... Get a taste. Get a little taste. Get a taste for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's get back. Now, we saw... Uh, we all saw... Several documentaries in the yes. last couple of days uh, mm-hmm. here at SF Doc Fest. Um, Is it Indie Fest or Doc Fest? Let's get this right. So SF Indie Fest. Great question, Mike. Great question, Mike. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, so SF Indie Fest overseas, they do several festivals throughout the year. Think of it as the parent company. Yes. I will. <laughs> it's so... <laughs> so so Indie Fest is your daddy, okay. um, and so they do several. And SF Doc Fest is just one of them. Okay. So like SF, like at SF Indie Fest is the Twitter handle. Doc Fest doesn't have its own Twitter handle. Yeah, because we were hashtagging in nonsense last night, and I didn't know what was happening. And then uh, and, and he was like, "It's Indie Fest, it's Doc Fest, it's Doc Fest, it's Indie Fest," and then we called the whole thing off. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so SF Doc Fest goes through uh, June sixteenth. So if you're listening to this, there's still a lot more uh, cool stuff you can see. Um, there's a, a doc about Boyle Heights, the history of Boyle Heights, that I, we didn't get to see. We met the film, filmmakers, these two women. They were at our, our screening, which was really cool. Um, but we're going to get a hold of them and, and get a screening of it. So uh, two nights ago, uh, Chris, you and I saw uh, Future of Work and Death. Yes, The Future of Work and Death, which was a, a lot of interviews uh, about how technology is changing the way we work and also how we die and if our consciousness can be uploaded to a computer and all that stuff. I have to say, um, I didn't like this film. Uh, and uh, I thought it showed a couple of interesting things, but when you fill a documentary, first of all, it's a documentary about the future and technology, and it's um, filled with, like, 50s newsreel footage. Mm. I mean, I get the irony that you're trying to do, but no, it's if you're going to tell me about the future and what's coming up, stop giving me all this retro footage. Right. The other thing that always puts me off when these documentaries, it's like, it's okay if you interview scientists and, you know, people that actually have some credibility in the scientific community. But you, when you give made up titles like futurist and uh, all these other weird or like techno philosopher, like oh that, I, um, I, I kind of tune out. So I thought there was a couple of interesting points being made, but then I thought a lot of it was uh, just weird, bizarre speculation by people who just want to give themselves titles. Well, Chris, as a uh, futurist, as, as, a, as, as, a, a, as a techno sorcerer, as a, as a techno sorcerer, <laughs> um, I'm going to send some uh, digital demons to <laughs> to your bank account. To your bank account. <laughs> I, you know, I, I it was interesting to me. It reminded me of of there's a there's a book that I've been just finished reading called Abundance, which goes in a little broader sense of how a lot of the the, the problems the world is facing right now, which are serious. You know, starvation, water resources, overpopulation, like all democracy. this democracy, all this thing, <laughs> sand everywhere, sand yeah. everywhere, <laughs> special futuristic sand towels. <laughs> um, that uh, and they were saying in this book, and it's one of the guys that that helped create the X Prize, um, which is like 
create it's it's a it's like a ten million dollar prize, and they encourage people to come up with the coolest technology. And if you get it, you f- get funding and stuff like that. So, the person writing this book, Abundance, is is basically saying that technology can solve all these problems. And there's examples of how they've been working in smaller levels, and they talk mm. about not. And this movie also talked about um, exponential, like technology is exponential. Um, in eighteen months, everything gets right s- smaller, faster, cheaper. You know, mm. and and it's not like a regular distance, so it's not incremental. It's exponential. So that was fascinating to me. In the first part of the movie, I was I was really sort of intrigued with everything that was being said, and um, but I think we talked about it. It felt like it could have been a forty minute thing, right? Um, it could have been or like a thirty minute news. But how how ridiculous is it to say, and how much of an indictment of the filmmakers is it to say that a film about the possibilities of the future. Should have been much shorter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just seems like that's 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 ripe for exploration and, right. and getting into topics and mm. really finding a sweet spot to talk about everything. And you're telling me they gave you nothing and should have taken so much more out of it. That just that's just an indictment. Man. Well, it's, it's it's a good point you bring up, Mike, because mm. that was I think when Chris and I both around the same time started tuning out because I felt like you, I'm, you're telling me the same thing. Yeah, like. You, you propose these things initially, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. This is intriguing. And it's all based in science. It's not like, you know, new agey, just put, you know, put it on your the secret vision board, and that'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, no. Smell this candle. Yeah. Now smell this candle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so that's intriguing, and it is it is where I think the filmmakers had an opportunity. Now, I'm I'm willing to... I'm always more forgiving of a of an indie doc filmmaker because I'm always like, well, how much money did they have? They ran, you know, they they only sure. had these handful of interviews they could get, and they only had money for probably fair use. Which leads us back to him and his black and white footage. I mean, you're, if you're looking for stock footage to pad out your thing, yeah, you know what I mean, right. that is a very big indicator about lack of funding. So. Right. So that make, gives me and it, lack of focus. It's like, well, what, this is how we're going to fill the time. Oh yeah, jam a '50s dad in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's exactly what they did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and here's how you know people used to work. And, the atom bomb right. is dangerous. Right, uh, it's a, a bunch of, of those. Yeah. It's a bunch of those, and it's like, okay, we needed to see some more, but they just didn't have the money or whatever. I don't know. Maybe well, I, it's interesting you would mention that, and we're going to get in. Man, I should I should hold this till we talk about the things that we saw together. Well, let's get into them because let, let's get into El Chivo. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Let's dig into El Chivo. Now, when you guys saw El Chivo, I saw a, sh- a, a shorts program. So you guys go first. No, no. Let's let's do yours first yeah. because I know you loved your shorts program. I did. I thought they were After, fantastic. And coming off the bad taste of future of yes. black and white, let's talk about something <laughs> the good. Future yeah. of old stock footage. Yeah. I thought I thought the uh, shorts were fantastic. Now, not every um, film festival does this, but um, uh, SF Doc Fest did. They themed the programs. Very specifically. Like, uh, sometimes they're themed more than others. This one was specifically cool old guys. So it was all little snapshots of documentaries of of guys. Like, there was a a beekeeper, a guy who did art for the Black Panther, a boxer and a bondsman, and a model, and uh, a guy with cancer who wanted to walk the Camino. So it was interesting, and it was also a mix of, like... And it's an individual short about each one of those people you just mentioned. Yes, there were eight of them. Got eight shorts. So they were, what... 15 minutes of pop- different lengths right yeah some of them were like under 10 and then like the last one was probably 20 some minutes last one was five yeah. i mean that's the yeah. thing i, w- I mm-hmm. want to say real quick that i mm-hmm. that i i dig about this festival is 
when I when we first got into it and we were started looking at the programming slate, mm-hmm. I'm like, because obviously it's a it's a festival just with documentaries, right. so that could be pretty limiting. Yes, but it, but they do a really nice job, I think, of going and curating of curating a really wide range of things, and we'll mm-hmm. get into it too when we talk about these other two movies we saw last yes. night. Um, uh, and one of the things I really liked too to see is like, oh, it's a shorts program where people going to show up, and it was a great crowd, great really turnout for crowd. both yeah. of the shorts. Yes. Programs the seven and the nine o'clock was mm-hmm. really cool to see. Yeah, so it was really good. So, um, it, and it was an interesting mix. Like a lot of the shorter films, like the under ten minutes, were like a snapshot of like here's a character who's been skating and has like the church of eight wheels and he teaches skate lessons and like he's been doing it for thirty some years and uh, a lot of local San Francisco um, uh, characters are in the area. Um, here's a guy who runs a boxing ring for at youth kids and all this mm. stuff like really cool stuff and but they were they were snapshots because they were shorter a beekeeper in France you know and how uh, none of the young people want to take care of the bees and you know we need the bees for our you know uh, not only economy but also for our our ecology and every everything that like but he said all the old people are retiring and none of the young people want to take care of bees so he's he's like I have to keep taking care of my bees because there's no one left to replace me. Wow. So there was a couple really interesting things. Um, you know what they should have done? The festival should have paid, and then at the end of the eight shorts, all of the people from the shorts should have had a dinner in their in their goofy beekeeper and yeah. roller skating <laughs> costumes. It would have looked like a wrestling locker room. It just like a beekeeper and like a guy who teaches boxing, and then like maybe they fight, and then it would be just this incredible, weird discussion of their uh, their shorts and things like that. That would have been mean, really yeah, cool. Yeah, like a wrestling locker room, room yeah. from the 70s. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it would have been. Because sure. they, had, they had a really cool panel. The beekeeper, the, the roller skater. Because they had some of the guys were there and some of the filmmakers. So it was oh, okay. about three or four of That's them. That's cool. So you had like the roller skate guy in full outfit. Uh, and, and his he, outfit was like funky, like he looked like oh, a pimp. Oh, right? great, awesome. great! Yeah, it was. It was. Really I saw cool. the beginning. We saw the beginning mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah, because yeah. then we ducked back mm-hmm. into our ducked yeah. to CRs because I hadn't started yet. And then Phil's Camino, uh, where um, a guy discovers he has cancer, but he always wanted to walk the Camino in Spain, but he couldn't. So the Camino so. in Spain, real quick, is that like three week I don't know it's this long trail that's long sort trail of a that pilgrimage goes, it's a yes. it's a Christian thing right it, it's um it, it's I think it might have started as like a Christian thing but now everyone from all over the world comes to do it and what happens is every time you like get Christmas. to a town yeah yeah pretty much yeah where it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it has religious significance but it's not yeah the not main, more. yeah it's not the <laughs> it main can't, thing. I think yeah, now yeah. And, and in that going to that movie that Martin Sheen did right. I'll tell you what the commercialization of the Camino has really got yeah. <laughs> and yes. the war on the Camino yeah, the oh way. my god yeah <laughs> the way is the, right. the movie and uh, because every time you get to a town you know they stamp like your little uh, passport kind of thing and really? then that shows that you've done every step of the of the walk and that was the sort of thing in the way and I'm curious to know about this documentary it was uh, Martin Sheen in that movie meets all these people along the way yes. and everyone uh-huh. sort of has their own reasons and journey and some mm-hmm. are religious some are just like going through a time in my life right he's an older guy mm-hmm. that was cool so what was this so, so what he did was he kind of created a re- representation of it in his own yard like on his farm whatever so he would just walk of the around Camino? of the Camino and like every stop would be like a different city because, because he, he, could, he had cancer and could not go to the actual one. Go to the actual so he recreated one. the Camino in on his own property. Yes. Whoa. Uh-huh. And he did. And then he was like, you know, I, I don't have much time left. I don't know what I, you know I'm going to do. And then, I'm going to build a Camino. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> well, and then he, he built it and he couldn't walk it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he dies. He like at the last stop. He's like, oh, I never get to walk my own Camino. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he, um, but then what I loved about this movie is he gets the next scan and he's okay. He talks to his doctor. Look, I want to do this for real. Can I? So he's cancer free. So he's, it's in remission. Okay. And so what he does is he goes to Spain and he actually starts to walk the actual Camino. And it was really, really cool. And, and. What I love about documentaries like that, when they show almost like a narrative progression, like you're rooting for this guy and yeah. you want him to go. And, you know, like these shorter ones are just like a snapshot in somebody's life. But this one, it was like you're you're just riveted to the story. Like, is he going to make it? What, what's going to happen? So there's footage of him in the, the actual Camino in Spain. He's in a church. He collapses. You know, you wonder, is he done? Is he going to finish or whatever? And... Um, the filmmakers at the, the talk, what I loved was uh, they were saying people plan to walk the Camino in Spain for like two years. It's like a huge planning trip. You right. know, they have to plan for two years or they will walk the Camino for two they years? Will have to, they plan it sometimes for two years to, be, uh, to walk it because, you know, it'll take like a month or, or whatever. And he goes, when he got his scan, he was gone in two weeks. He was like, he was just ready to go. Yeah. So he walked it. He finished it. He came back. And um, he did it. And it was like just this amazing um, story of just like willpower. And uh, um, they did a really cool thing with the, um, the shot at the end where, you know, we've been making films for a while. So whenever we see an aerial shot, I'm like, how the hell did they get money for a crane or a helicopter or whatever? And then you realize, no. You know, because they asked it at the q and I'm like, well, how did you do that shot? It's just a drone with a, like a GoPro. Oh, now and the GoPro yeah, technology is so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's why anytime you see these amazing shots, and I did the same thing, like, God, that's so expensive. Now, yeah. not, anymore. not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, they're doing it like at surf competitions yeah. because helicopters, they didn't, helicopters get too low and sometimes they blow out the wave. So it was like, how do we get this footage? Now you just have drones flying and you have this amazing footage and it costs hundreds of dollars versus tens of thousands yeah, of dollars it was, wow. it was you know like oh how did they run a helicopter for a short film that's crazy you know and it was yeah it was a drone no so you know you know what the last shot to that should have been he should have finished the camino in spain and just looked at the camera and went eh mine's better it's <laughs> <laughs> like it meant nothing to him he's like yeah. eh, i built this thing yeah. that was all the hype i should have stayed so, home yeah. so he, he said now i'm sorry was he jackie mason yeah. you know? uh, should have said oh yeah. can't believe it. He, he said now his um his like his home now has become like a destination like people want to walk his camino at home <laughs> how big is his backyard by the way it, it's pretty big it's like a farm right so it, it it sprawls for a while now they didn't like get into like every like step of it so you look like he's like going through farm and like forest and oh the distance yeah <laughs> so it was great it was a really um really great documentary it was the kind of documentary like you know sometimes you see them oh it could be shorter this one I could have seen this being longer. I could have seen it. You could have wanted a little I more. Could have, I could have actually watched this. I could have seen this turned into a feature if mm. it was, uh, you know, if there was just more stuff in there because it was so such a rich story. Mm. Um, you know, because you've got all this prep and him building it at home, then getting better than doing it for real. I mean, you really have a structure for a, for a feature. So, so yeah, I really enjoyed the shorts program. I'm glad I got to see it. Let me ask you this. They get, is there any snapshot into his family? Is he a solo guy? Is he a, a guy who lives alone? There was a snapshot in his family. They interviewed his wife. His wife was, you know, obviously very upset. They don't know how much longer he had. And right. There was the so they don't know how much longer he had. Are they cool with him taking on a big craft project in the backyard yeah. and spending time with <laughs> they, the grandparents? They, uh, they were. They were. The other thing that was interesting is What do you say they, to a guy who's dying of cancer? Yeah. I want to do this thing. Get in the house? Yeah. <laughs> 
they had to deny a guy yeah. who's his, hey, my last wish is to build this thing. No, it's not. Yeah. You're going to sit with your kids and you're going to, well, gonna okay, be- but my last wish isn't to sit with my kids. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave my fucking family in the barn while I go out and I build a fake Camino. God I think, damn I think, it. Hold on. <laughs> This is bleeding into the next movie. That's why I think where Mike's yeah, frustration is. This, I think, I think yeah. we'll get into the next movie in yeah, a second. That's but, a good uh, point. I, I will say, though, <laughs> getting back to the family, yes, yeah, so the family was represented as friends, and that was actually what I want, what I'd like to have seen more of, to see all that support. And uh, uh, But one of the things that was sad in the movie is that, uh, you know, the dog had cancer. So they had their dog, and the dog had cancer, and then the dog died um, at the party for him coming back from walking the actual Camino. So the dog actually dropped it there. You know, the dog's final wish was to ride in El Camino. Right. (laughs) So it was... In uh, the back. Yeah. (laughs) Face out. Yeah. (laughs) So it was great. It was a great shorts program, but but, um, Phil's Camino was definitely my favorite. Okay, so... We watched then. The Mike died. It's all. Oh, what an awful button. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Now, now I got brought down. It's an uplifting story, and you're like, I can see you make a feature about the dog dying. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this next movie we saw was El Chivo. Uh, El Chivo is Spanish for the mountain goat, uh, and it's about this uh, guy who lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, his name is Will Harlan, and he's like a, an ultra marathon runner. Which ultra marathoners, I found out in this film, where people run like these thirty-four. A, a regular marathon is twenty-six point two miles, right? And these people run like forty, fifty mile marathons, hundred miles, hundred mile marathons, twenty-four hours. Yeah, wow. and a lot of them are like they're not through a city; they're like trails and mountains, and they're really, really grueling. So it's a whole nother level. We actually have a friend who does this. Who? R- Russ McGarry. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's been. He'd been. Doing, I don't know if he does it anymore, but he did it for a long time. And I mean, he was. I mean, crazy. So when I watched the movie, I immediately went to Russ. So it feels like it's even more taxing than like a triathlon or something. It's not. It's ridiculous. It's well, funny. I will tell you this because we, we, you know, the ultra marathoners they run through the desert, they run through the heat, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What we saw yesterday was something I've never even contemplated. Through the mountains in Mexico, there it starts at the floor of this canyon, and then they run up through the mountains and down, and and. The astonishing athletic achievement is the mountain goat is a dude who lives in, in North Carolina. We'll get to him in a second. But he's an ultramarathoner, so he has he knows how to do it. He has shoes. He has equipment. He kind of he, he knows about his health and how to stay uh, on top of his sport. He's running against villagers. This is the thing. So so there's this <laughs> wow. there's this the dude. the indigenous they're called the Tarahumara Indians of Mexico's Copper Canyon. And so you're saying they don't have? Oh, we're, we're getting oh there. my god, Chris. <laughs> so they their race. You know, they cut out a piece of tire. They sta- they take their bare foot and put it on the tread of a tire, and a workman cuts it out around their foot and then shapes it. And they that's what they wear. Sandals. On their feet. Oh my god! They're running in sandals on rock, like hard rock, rock. up and down mountains and ravines, dude. I mean, they are badasses, and that's I mean, part of the sort of uh, one of the storylines in this is that these people are sort of. They're, they're they're marginalized a little bit within Mexico, you know what I mean? With the, the Mexican government, there's there's talk that they sort of marginalize them a little bit. They just want to exist. 
They want to flourish, they want to plant, they want to eat, and they want to run and raise families and live in this small town. But they're caught between the crossfires of the drug war and the government and people forgetting about them and not getting them any supplies. So a lot of these racing uh, events and racers bring attention to these areas so then seeds are brought in and they are able to grow and, and flourish as a village because there's so much attention put on them from these races. That they Here's what you get oh, wow. if you finish 500 pounds of corn. That's, that's first fry. That's, that's what you win. No, no, just finishing. Oh, just finishing. Because you people yeah. don't finish. They collapse. They break their legs. Oh, they, wow. they and so that's what the villagers are running for. Mm-hmm. So then these, you know, a lot of these And the villagers are not only are they running so they're they're not like, ah, this is a lark. They need the corn. Like right. that's the thing. They are intensely they're going to finish. They have to finish for their family for five hundred pounds of corn for the rest of the year. And they don't have $100 running shoes. They got an old goddamn tire that a guy cut out. Wow. Dudes are running in jeans. Yeah. I'm not even joking. These yeah. dudes are running in jeans and like old Metallica shirts and these floppy tire flip-flops and they just grim visage, just staring forward as the sweat pours off their head and they catch it in a cup so they can drink it in October when the rains don't come. I mean, they are just fucking poor, man. And it's... And that's the the thing that was that was, I really liked about this is it focuses on this guy Will and he's an obsessive runner and mm. he interviews some other of these ultra marathoners and they're all sort of obsessive. Yeah, and Herman Silva who won the New York Marathon twice. Uh, so is it a mix then of like you know Westerners and villagers? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it started small and the villagers and then people heard about. It. There's one guy I forget his name and he right. he was the one who kind of got other runners involved and then went, you know of course once American people shine a light on it, then other people start to come. And then, it, I mean, it's become this gigantic event. It's almost like a 48-hour thing where they party in the street and they have a big meal and they make this drink for everybody and then they run the run. And then, uh, and the thing is, at the end of the run, that dude, because also the first run we see is we don't even see the ultra marathon, okay, which is the 50-mile the run right. through the fucking mountains. Mm-hmm. We see this run where they have to kick a wooden ball it's they, they run in teams. Just okay. the, this is just the tribes run. So the big, just the the Copper Canyon Ultra Marathon. That's the big right. race that right. has now become an international event. So now this this tribe, the Tarahumara, have this little thing just in their village where they kick this wooden ball it's in called, these open toed handmade sandals. <laughs> up. It's called like the Rahu Piari or something. I forget right. it. It's an event, and uh, and they have teams, mm-hmm. and each team has their own you know, ringer runner and he'll, you know, they have to run as a team, but they have to continuously kick. Uh, And first of all, when they get to town, they have to, they go to a sacred tree and they chop down chunks of it and they fashion the wooden balls for the, the, the race at a ceremony out of the sacred tree. Mm -hmm. Then they kill it. They slaughter an ox. Which they, they chop- show on camera, oh, yeah, and I had that. to yeah. turn away. Wow. Uh, I actually put my 3D glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a jet stream in your face. And so then they chop this ox to bits, and then they cook him the fuck up, and then they eat him. And then they're, 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 the kid, the dude, the mountain goat dude is trying to practice kicking the wooden ball, and he's like, I'm, I, this hurts, I can't. So the other team kicks the ball while he just runs. Um, and then you have to do laps. And there's an old guy with 22 a... 22-mile, ro- 20 separate two-mile laps, loops. Oh my God. You're running a two mile course twenty times until when once the team lap gets lapped, then the race is over, and the and the one team wins, and the one team wins. And there's an old guy there with a rock going, "Oh, there's uh, like six laps. Every lap we take a rock away." <laughs> wow! Uh, and he's just sitting in a chair, you know. And again, there's mariachis all over the fucking joint. And there's old corn cobs from the '40s. They're still lurking. And, uh, yeah, and they're wearing the, like a traditional. 
outfit. Like it's it's so like got blouses and the ghost of content flosses there. I mean, it is ridiculous, man. So that's when the race ends when another team gets lapped. Yeah, right. And again, that's not the main race. That's yeah. the that's the race you see in the beginning to warm us up. And they, they introduce that's us part to, of the undercard. Oh yeah, <laughs> they introduce us to a guy named Miguel Lara, who mm. I. And again, he, he lives in a canyon in Mexico, so he could be 18, he could be 75. Right. It's one of those things where you don't know. Never, I never saw his tooth because he didn't smile at all, because what's he got the fucking smile about? He lives there. But he's running, and he's the badass runner in that town. And then the El Fuermo guy, too, mm-hmm. who won it in 2004, 2006, 2008, and he's still running. Mm-hmm. And and we don't ever talk to them, but we see them from a distance because they're, they don't speak English, so they don't really chat with them. And... But they just live there, and they mm-hmm. that's they they live to run these races and stuff. And that, that Miguel Lara was the one, you know, he he's won the race, the the ultra marathon now twice. And I'm thinking they got to get this guy out of the canyon and get him on the Mexican Olympic team or so. I mean, he's yeah. running in jeans and flip flops, and he's winning these 50 mile ultra marathons. And they're you know, we're, granted, the vehicle to get to these people is to focus on this mountain goat dude, the white dude from North Carolina, and tire flip flops. Oh, oh my God, <laughs> absolutely! But I'm fascinated oh, by it's... the by the people who live there. It's because then they, I mean, there's more close up of feet in this than a Tarantino film because they're just showing you <laughs> dirty, dusty flip flop encrusted. These feet. guys' feet. Look like just hooves. They just look yeah. like stones. They are the most. Wow. These guys have the toughest feet on the planet. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, so, they have like hobbit feet. Yeah, yeah. They do, they do. <laughs> exactly. So then, so that's the beginning of the movie. We're sort of introduced to this guy Will and the whole community around these races in mm. Mexico. And then we sort of go back to to his training regimen, and we see how obsessive it is. How it's a it's a strain mm. on his marriage. Here, here's his training regimen. He never stops. He goes to work and then he just does push-ups and sit-ups in his office for an hour and a half while he's waiting for his next appointment. He's an editor of a magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rides a bike from his farm to work and then he runs at lunch and then he does more sit-ups and push-ups and he and core work. He, I, I can't imagine this guy just must smell like a ball sack because I mean he is just sweating <laughs> constantly right. all the time everywhere and everybody keeps going. Well, that's just Will. You know, he's obsessed a little bit and we just kind of give him his space to do his thing. Uh, and then please continue with what you were saying. Well, then you, we get into like, and his wife is like, well, you know, Will just leaves for these races. And I, you know, I used to get mad and it's frustrated, but I just sort of let it happen. And then they kind of go back into more of the history of the racing and they interview other racers. But then they come back to that. Mm-hmm. And like his wife's best friend, they went to med school together. And she's like, yeah, Will's... Um, He's an interesting. He's a bit of a character, character. And, and everyone in the audience goes, "Oh yeah. shit!" Because we're we are now forty minutes into the movie, all right? right? And we've we've kind of we have our own opinions of Will at this mm-hmm. point, you know, because he wants to help the indigenous Indians and stuff. Well, you can also see he's a little fucking bananas. Mm-hmm. Again, he gets in his office and he strips down to shorts and he's doing push-ups and sit-ups the whole time. Wow! Then they talk to his mom and dad, and he he was. A, if when he wasn't running, he was swimming. When he wasn't swimming, he was biking. He's he's never he doesn't stop moving at all. He's constantly vibrating, and he needs to be doing something. And and his wife even says, you know, Will comes from a family of a lot of depression and anxiety, and I think his exercising is what keeps him from doing that, from getting depressed and 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 having anxiety. So it's now like, when we say he goes to races, she would wake up in the middle of the night and he'd be gone, and she would find out he went to San Jose for a marathon. He doesn't tell her. Wow. He yeah. just goes because so like that's not even a note on the fridge. No, exactly. Running I mean, marathon he would call from there. He would oh, call wow. from there or he'd call after the race or something and she it's now the way the way one of them puts it is it's just the third member of our marriage. 
That's how his wife puts it. That, that's yeah. what she says. She and she's that's and they show him. You know, he's in fucking Mexico drinking corn juice and taking an IV, and she's feeding goats and, and out in the harsh North Carolina winter. She's bringing with hay like a out six year old. Yeah, wow. she's tending the farm and doing all the chores and everything. And he's, I mean, and this dude gets he breaks his toe in the first race. Okay, he breaks it, and uh, they tell him, "Well, you're probably not going to be able to race in five weeks." So you and. Really? Guess what? Guess what happens in five weeks? Not only does he partially tear his Achilles, he's racing. He's racing on it no matter what. I mean, this dude falls in the middle of a race and has to take an IV. And then he gets up holding the IV and walks barefoot through the town. Hobbles well, everyone cheers then, for him because he's like, I've never not finished a race. So I'm going. Wow. So, and, and this is the thing that's sort of, for me as an audience member, part of you is like, I want a jackass. And then you're like, you know, he has this weird thing. He goes, I, I feel like I need to suffer because, you know, my life is nice and I know there's people suffering out there. So suffering for a race, which I knew is temporary, it's going to end where other people are suffering all day, every day. It's, it's, I mean, they show it. He was on an episode of Oprah. Well, then build a house for Habitat for Thank Humanity. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. you know, exactly. It's, uh, you don't have to break your toe and walk, hobble through a town. That doesn't help anyone. And I think that's sort of the, the progress. And I think the, I like what the filmmaker did and sort of we see the, it's, it's, we see the in the feature length version of what you saw in Phil's Camino mm-hmm. in terms of this guy's arc. We saw his, mm-hmm. his his character arc because then we start getting into he's like we're gonna get they start this organization called uh, Barefoot Seeds I yes. think um, and which you can go to barefootseeds.org and get seeds for this um, this indigenous uh, tribe yeah. people in the in in the Copper Canyon. Because it used to be – the canyon used to be very lush and flourishing, but drought, drug wars, right. land rights issues mm. um, have made it really tough for them. So they're they're bringing in seeds and there's a scene in there where he's like – he's him and some of these other runners are helping. Oh, well, that's great. And so you kind of see that and then you, you meet – Yeah, the but he's got a six-year-old watching you know football on a laptop at his house wondering when daddy's coming home. Oh, right. And the whole movie is a metaphor for running away from things. You know, he, that's because that's what he's doing is he's literally – he's essentially running away from his family even though his – his wife gives him plenty of rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, he's on an episode of Oprah because they talk about this weird thing that he does. He doesn't sleep in the bed with his wife. He sleeps on the deck on the floor because he – in 17-degree weather. And he says it's because he likes sleeping under the stars and he loves the earth and he's in harmony with the earth. And his wife is like, could you fucking sleep in bed with me once? That would be great. Yeah. And obviously he did once because they got a kid. But he he's just – he tells a story – is it too much to tell what the story he told? Well, There's a turning point in the film where you go, I hate this fucking guy. Because in the, in the beginning, you're like, I understand his I'm obsession. For him. Yeah. I'm kind of, I might be on board with him, but I also can see this guy's got something going on that I can't understand. Right. He's running and running and running for something he will never fucking catch. Then he tells a story, two stories, right in the middle of the movie, and you just laugh because you go, I hate him. I, 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 don't, I don't care for him or his behavior, and he can't see that he's being destructive. Even if his wife's allowing him to do these things... He's still causing psychic damage to his wife and his kid and, and himself. Being kind of selfish. It's not kind of. Yeah. That's what I'm, is it wrong to tell the stories that he told? Because it's a key to me. It's a key moment in the movie where you just go. It shifted me completely. Well, where I was like, we all right, just, we could just put this as spoiler alert if you don't want. If you want spoiler alert on this on this on this movie El Chivo. I think you should go see it because it's very interesting. Just if anything, ignore the big bald white dude and look at the plight of the indigenous peoples and just go fuck. This world is a lot bigger place than I ever thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but there's, 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 um, 
maybe we shouldn't spoil because I want people to actually see this movie. Okay. okay. So, so, so. That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, yeah. Because when I told you. Spoiler alert withdrawn. <laughs> Spoiler withdrawn. I mean, so, so what happens to him in the end and, the, and, the, and everything is really compelling. It's worth it just to see the race footage. I, honestly, yeah. to see, to see, you know, 13 year old girls wrapped up in colorful scarves with their feet caked in dust now, running they, up hills. Do they show, like you said, they showed the. The wooden ball race. Do they show the main race? Oh, twice, yeah, they twice. Okay. They do because then there's the final race at the end. And there's a great interview too with I forget the guy's name, the Mexican guy who won the gold medal for he the. Um, That's Herman Silva. Yeah, Herman Silva, and he's talking about that, and he's talking about I don't care what a guy says, you know, when he wants to come to a race and he says I'm just here to, to finish it he goes you're a competitor you're going to want to win it eventually when, mm-hmm. I mean that's just who you are and Herman Silver makes some great points about there's a thin line between um, passion and obsession yeah and, and people come from all over the world for this race there's Dutch people oh, there's yeah. German people they're, and they're all running there are people running it and people just there to observe so it's for people who want to do the Camino, but faster. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a fast Camino. No, see, I'm It's a fast Camino. Yeah. But it's, 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 I'll say this overall. It's, it's a really compelling documentary. I think the filmmaker did a good job of telling the story and getting you to have a real distinct, I mean, that's the thing about, about a good documentary is sometimes the focal person of the documentary, you go, what a, fucking jacket you know like you go through that story and the people around them and you're rooting for them but you're like this guy keeps fucking shooting himself in the foot or whatever the thing is and so i think the filmmaker did a really did a really good job i agree i thought the same thing and i and just it is worth it to see uh, a world you've never seen before and it's worth it to realize that there's so much more out there and so many because we all hear you know people need help and there's and we all i joke all the time about the coming water wars and all this but it's a real slice of a small part of the world that needs help and has found a unique way to deal with it and they yeah and it's it's really cool it's a, it's a cool film so check it out el chivo um, all right so speaking about a a weird world that you might yes. not know about <laughs> was the last movie we saw the dwarvenaut uh, really interesting film about... Now, we were all in the room for this We were one, all in folks. the room I, for like, this one, yeah. Chris went and saw some shorts. Yeah. Graham and I saw El Chivo. We all came together with Wonder Twin Powers and activated yes. at the Dwarvenaut. <laughs> and when I saw this description, I'm like, oh, I, I have to see this movie. Here's a guy uh, obsessed with Dungeons & Dragons that starts his own company to make um, miniatures. Um, uh, Stefan Picorni. And the thing about Dungeons & Dragons is, if you ever played it, um, it's a pencil and paper role-playing game but to embellish it a lot of times you would have like little figures and dungeon foldouts and maps and stuff but these guys really take it to the next level and literally craft dungeons like modular where you could put them together you could build castles you could build towns and you could build all these incredibly detailed um miniatures it's like the equivalent of like Train collectors making like a, yes. uh, a train platform with uh, houses and stay at stops and stations, but it's also ingenious the way it's put together. I, I ended up watching a little bit of the videos uh, because they have training videos too. When you buy these pieces, how you can put them together and they're magnetized, so you could put them together and they'll like stay. That until explains you pull a lot because we were watching it. Apart. Yeah, and I yeah. keep wondering. <laughs> uh, it seems a lot looser. Than yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So there's actually magnets inside them to keep everything together, and then you know you build a base set and you build. Um, you can add on with like balconies, and then you add fountains and all these different terrains, and uh, you think, well, who 
you know, is there a lot of people interested in that? Uh, yeah, uh, Kickstarters, probably, I think they said over $4 million raised in Kickstarters, like three campaigns. The last campaign, like over $2 million. It well, the last campaign, well... That's the arc of the film. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so he's trying yeah. to raise... Trying to raise $2 million. Right. Like the other ones That's what this, this movie's essentially yeah. about his last Kickstarter campaign where he's trying mm-hmm. to raise $2 million to... Build his entire vision. Yes, because he's been building dungeons. He's been building all these things that you can use within Dungeons and Dragons. But as it, since he's been a child, he had a city in mind, and he wants to create the entire city and and stories and characters and essentially create his own Dungeons and Dragons within Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, and that's that's the uh, the other big difference is normally when you build or when you sell these, like there's other companies that do this too. Um, you're just kind of like it's like well you buy a house you put a house in there you buy you know a part of the dungeon put the dungeon there but what he was doing with this last one was not only was he building the entire city he was creating the dungeon modules to go through where he's creating the characters and the stories and the adventures and normally that that's, that doesn't happen normally it's for Dungeons and Dragons the dungeon master creates it or you buy a module and then you just use these you know pieces to kind of put it together but he is the first time like it's ever been done in that grand a scale where he's not only building the buildings he's not only doing the adventures but he's got all the maps of the city planned out like every section of the city is on these giant maps so it was it was fascinating the the thing that i uh absolutely loved about this movie is it it does what again what mike was talking about with el chivo is it brings you into world i don't know much about Dungeons and Dragons at all. I mm-hmm. never played it. I had some friends that played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely was like, "Oh, this is almost too. This is too nerdy for me." When I was a kid growing up, like I like comic books, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is right. too nerdy," and ugh, whatever. Like you told me, it's a movie about Dungeons and Dragons, and my first instinct was, mm, "Maybe not." Yeah. <laughs> but it is good filmmaking. Right. The filmmaker, uh, the director is Josh Bishop, who also did this movie called, his first documentary, he's done to Made in Japan, which is about the first ever country music star f- from Japan that, mm-hmm. that exploded onto the scene, like in the 50s or something like that. So this filmmaker, the opening scene, he uses a lot of very, and he does this throughout the movie, which was really compelling to me visually, a close-up footage of these cities and all of this guy's work, his right. work building these mm-hmm. characters, and and they're lit too. There's like oh, LED Jesus. lights, and there's it's like, like uh, little small dry ice. Yeah, dry ice. There's like uh, st- you know sm- smoke effects. It was so cool. And so the opening of the movie is like bum bum bum, and you're right. like, oh shit, mm-hmm. he's the filmmaker brought me into this. I'm now into. I'm in, excited. I'm intrigued. Like, and then and then we get into and we meet this guy, and it 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 he is really um, a compelling person to watch. This guy uh, Stephen uh, Picorni, in terms of he's his voice is odd, and then so within the like. We get backstory of who he is, but he keeps like learning more about him and the right. history and his parents. He was adopted twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was from, on his third set of parents. Yeah, from Korea, um, and his final set of parents <laughs> were uh, a Czech man and an Italian woman. And you know, he grew up speaking Italian. And well, and they got him secondhand, basically, because right. he, yeah. uh, he was a Korean woman and an American GI. Uh, during the Korean War, or, or whatever, the Vietnam War, maybe. And uh, she gave birth to him, and then the GI split, and then he gave her up, she gave him up for adoption, and then a, a couple adopted him, and then went, eh, we don't want this guy. Yeah, it wasn't getting along with our right. other kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, it didn't get along with the other kids, they returned him, like he was yeah. fucking towels. Mm-hmm. 
And then another family just went, we'll take him. And he's already two at that point. So he's, right. he's conscious of what's happening. Uh, and then he winds up kind of, you know, rebelling against society a little bit where they... Didn't but do he, well in school. No, but but his parents are really good. And also, and he's talking him. about the streets of New York City in the 70s and 80s. Right. You're, I mean... <laughs> there was, there was danger story. there, yeah. It tells a story early on about a, a fate a friend met and you go, oh, that's where he lived. Yeah. You know, yeah. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and fights and, and, and he was just rebellious and, and then talks about that thing that I think a lot of sort of... A lot of people go through, but especially people with like any sort of a unique personality that has a unique skill. He's not doing well in regular right. anything and then finds this art teacher. Art school. Art school, but mm-hmm. specifically this teacher that he talks about, this old guy who was Changes a, his Mr. Life. Greenberg. Mr. Yeah. Greenberg, who mm-hmm. just because kind of an old tough guy. He was a vet, but he just was like, yeah, that's great work. Do mm-hmm. this. Do this. He told him do this. Do this. Yeah. And the kid just was like, okay. And then he talks about how then he sort of flourished. And so his story is really compelling. Now, I got to – let me jump in because you you guys are movie makers and filmmakers and stuff. Uh, After about a half hour, I I lost all steam for this guy. Um, I think what he does is fascinating and I think the things that he creates are brilliant. And I love his work and I love his commitment to it. But as filmmakers, do I need to see him drinking a hundred times? Do I need to see him tell the same story over and over and over about his parents and what he's done? I mean, I I understand you're trying to make him compelling and interesting. The entire movie to me is, are they going to fund the Kickstarter? And because they tell you right in the beginning, they launch it and you go, okay, we really got to hope that they do this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and again, for me, maybe it's just because the movie falls flat on, on that because you either know they're going to fund it or they're not. And there's no way they're making a documentary about a guy who didn't fund a Kickstarter because he keeps saying, if this doesn't fund, I'm going to be waiting tables. If this doesn't fund, I'm bankrupt. If this doesn't fund, I'm ruined. So the end is already the beginning for me. I know he's going to fund it. There's no triumph. I'm not waiting for that no, to no, happen. Well, no, for that's me, actually, that's, that's for me, I didn't because I've seen documentaries about the guy. Like Spinning Plates is a great mm-hmm. example that uh, Joseph Gordon. Uh, Joseph Levy. Joseph Gordon. <laughs> Joseph Levy, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a documentary. Um, no, but Joseph Levy did this documentary, Spinning Plates, about um, three different types of restaurants. One is a big, fancy, this place in Chicago that's a, like, this, the guy is, a, is, a, is the Picasso of fucking chefs. And oh, makes, it's got to be Grand Oshets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm serious. I think it is. It uh, might be. Yeah, yeah. It's where you have to wait forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you make reservations. You actually get yeah. buy tickets online to go eat dinner there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, okay. he just, and he just brings you... Alinea. Right. That's it. That's it. That's it. So they're 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 showing that guy. They're showing this like family diner in Colorado or something or some town like that, and and that's great. And then they're showing a Mexican restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in Tucson that's struggling, and they don't all make it. You know. So to to me, like as a guy, and again, I've watched a thousand documentaries, so I've seen the documentary where the guy didn't make it. Now the kid, the kid. I mean, like Hoop Diaries. The kid didn't make one of the kids. Now understand. Here's let let me. put a, a different spin on it. I think that the filmmaker was savvy enough to know that, that you're right, that like, wow, well, we're making it, you know, it's probably going to fund if we're bringing it up to all this. So I think the filmmakers step back a little bit and goes, look, the audience knows that we're making this document is probably going to fund. So why don't we concentrate more on the character 
and what he's doing and his art. There was, so I, I really, enough. it didn't bother me, like, mm-hmm. when he was um, talking more about his parents and we saw him drink a little bit more because they, they alluded to the issue. fact that, that, that he had But not really. Issue, so. It's a fake issue put in to create some sort of see, reason to be worried during the film. Now, see, they, I, I They're think, making it play out like maybe he's going to be so drunk they're not going to fund or maybe he's going to oh, sabotage himself. I didn't read it that way. I'm waiting for conflict and there is none. See, there that's interesting. None. I didn't read it that way. I read it as like more of a portrait, like here's every facet of this character. Like, you know, he's interesting, he's he's very talented, but he's also got these issues. And and I found and, him I found him one note, straight one note the whole really? time. Yeah, he's, so, he's, yeah I, I got it. I had a different impression. I'm, I mean, I... I like the fact, I mean, I, I certainly admire the fact that he's my age and he has carved out a niche doing what he loves and he's incredibly talented at it. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like they tried to create too many facets to a guy that has no facets. We didn't meet the girlfriend. We don't see where he lives. We don't really learn anything about him except he likes weird hats and he drinks a lot. You know, the only, <laughs> I, I'm being honest. I, and then the conflict is when, when the guy from Dungeons and Dragons pulls him aside and goes, hey, man, you, you drink a lot. You know, you mm-hmm. return a phone call once in a while or whatever. Yeah, and, the, and uh, that was a great scene because then that he, was a great scene. he goes, hey, those guys come here. He goes, you're an adult. Make your own decisions. Yes. Right? Like, you have willpower. And then he walks away. And what, what, what's that resolved with? An eye roll, wink to the camera, and then he goes up and eats a cheeseburger and talks about doing shots. I mean, it, it just, there's right. not enough there. Not, everything slid off this fucking guy's back. And I get it, that's the personality he is. Mm-hmm. But there was no self-searching. There was no, and I guess I'm, maybe I'm looking for something that shouldn't have been in this sort of movie. But I would have liked to learn more about him because... You know, I, almost at the end, the maudlin... I, I don't know if it's a spoiler alert or whatever, but there's a scene, it's maudlin for... He's at gravestones and he's crying, and I'm like, I don't buy it. I almost thought he phonied up for the goddamn camera because up to that point, we've not seen one scintilla of emotion from this guy other than wee. Well, I don't know. I think that's... He's just more... He's not great at expressing emotions because of everything that he's he's been through. I, it, it didn't bother me. I, did, I didn't feel that was contrived. I thought those were real tears. and I, I found it the, to be... Uh, I don't mean to uh, step on you. Two mm-hmm. movies. One movie about I would have rather seen a fascinating documentary about his business and and the creation of all of that stuff. When they show that dude fashioning the like the woven face that's on the head of the door, <clears throat> the right. clay, those guys, it's amazing, yeah, those <laughs> unbelievable, artists. yeah. The artists and and the artistry and putting together, uh, I would have much rather seen a documentary about how to do that and the way fans react and respond to those sorts of things mm-hmm. and and maybe even expand it to the artists and find out about how they learned how to do those things rather than him going, I got to go pick up some socks. Whee! Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, I found him to be, after a half hour, mm-hmm. a grating presence where I just went, I don't... That's interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't feel that way. I thought I wanted to see more. Now, I do agree with your point that it would like to have seen, like, the girlfriend a little bit more of his home life and what else is going on in his life. But... Yeah, I, I I liked it. I liked the balance of the you know seeing the work and seeing him and seeing how you know he's got some issues for you know, for various reasons. Everything from addiction to denial, sure. To uh, uh, you know, but explore them a, a, a very a very tough past. Yeah. So well, when he's alluding to the fact that if this fails, we're bankrupt. If this fails, we've got nothing. We're totally going under. I'm going to be mm-hmm. waiting tables. And then they take a seven person limousine to the fucking convention with stocked with liquor. And then they're staying in a suite that has got and is gigantic. I'm like, where's your money getting spent? If you're this broke, if you have nothing, and then they go from a six square foot space to a 2200 square foot workspace in fucking Brooklyn. Now that's money. So where'd that money come from? Because he With funded... a lot of graffiti too. Well, exactly. <laughs> but he funded the other Kickstarter for over a million dollars. Well, hey man, where the fuck is that? Where'd that money go? That you're all broke and you're going to fucking fall apart. And I, I will say this, the money's going into the work. The money's going into the product because Jesus Christ, incredibly beautiful work. Yes. And astonishingly 
uh, efficient craftsmanship. And to watch that, I would have watched a fucking hour and a half of them making those. It, Seriously, it was, it was amazing. beautiful, beautiful craftsmanship. Every little brick, every little Everything. thing. Yeah, and also too, it, it's really only. Uh, a portion of the work when you see it being crafted, painting uh, alone all after of it. that. Well, is, the magnets. Is, is it, yeah. They never once yeah. said the magnets were there. Right. Because if I would have yeah. known that, I, it would have taken a real thing out of the equation for me because I'm going, was this all loose? Like, how do they... Because also, some of the rooftops fit on other buildings. I thought, this is brilliant. The whole thing's interchangeable. Like you mm-hmm. said, you had the Lego thing earlier. Right. It was very much like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's medieval Legos. Yes. And, and it creates a city. And they've created maps and these all these really right. in-depth characters. And, and, and accessories, too. Like, I went on the website. I was really curious. There's like stuff like, you know, if you have a tavern, you could buy like a bar. You know, you could buy like, you know, all these different little accessories. Like, oh, you want to put a balcony on the house or. Uh, well, dude, there was a like, turkey yeah. dinner. They made a tiny yeah. little turkey dinner. There's all these different, and it's unbelievably yeah. fascinating. Rats with to me. swords and yeah. Right? yeah. So great. And so I would have I would have preferred more of that because I will say about two thirds of the way through the movie, we finally get to see him working. Because I'm wondering, where, what does he do other than mm. walk around and go, well, everybody, ha-ha, and wear his hooded fucking cape. <laughs> but finally they see him sitting at a desk, and he's he's crafting this amazing thing. And you're like, oh, he's got that in him. He mm. does. He's not just a fucking Asian six-pack with a hood on. I mean, fine, I get mm. it. But it, it just, they didn't portray enough of him for me. And Because he's, they tried to dig where there was no depth. I, that guy is like a shallow dude in my opinion. I, I guess, I, guess I, I sort of, I viewed it differently because... Um, and maybe this is just the filmmaker in me. I was so uh, intrigued visually by the the shot selection that the director used that so showing just showing me the detail of the guys, we saw a lot of shots of the guys working with these spe- specific clay tools to mold these things that I that explained it enough for me. Like I was like, wow, this is really in depth. This is really intriguing. Um, could we could would I have if they would have given me a little more detail on this is how it's made specifically this clay this product this whatever that would right. have been sort of intriguing to me I sort of um and then I don't know just as a small business owner I was like yeah man everyone sure. everyone goes oh million dollars just like one hundred and forty grand for earbuds what's the problem like yeah. no, it's not it's, <laughs> like uh, Julia who was in the movie asked yeah. us how come it took so long yeah. to finish it and I was like it's fucking two that's a great point. I, I, I don't. And mean, he even, I wasn't into meaning to make it look like they. He they even says it in the uh, in the movies. Like, oh, people ask, like, well, how come it, there's so much? You know, why does it cost so much? And what are you doing with all that money? He goes, it goes into the work. Like, uh, people don't realize how expensive it is for all these materials to make. Because that's the thing. The guy could be. I mean, he could just make one replica and send them off to China and get them made for four sure. cents a piece, and they, he could bang out and get. You know, get 50,000 of them sent to his house in a week. But, that, that, but that's why I found it so fascinating and wanted to learn more about the creating of it. And are they all – does he make one giant prototype and then they make may mass produce? I never got that. Because oh, if, they're, mm-hmm. if they're fully doing every set by hand they're and they're selling 50,000 yeah. of them, I mean, Jesus, God. That's got to be a lot – a, a ton of work, a ridiculous amount. And, you know, it's funny you say the director in you was satisfied with this. Well, the writer in me wanted to know how they created all of these backstories for these characters. Because I mean, there's at one point they, uh-huh. they show them all sitting around typing on a, on a big screen and going, oh, yeah. And you start reading the, you know, the florid Dungeons & Dragons dialogue. Mm. I want more of that. I mean, I would have loved to see mm. them creating the full stories. Because there's at one point where he's got the cell phone and he's like, we got to work the Greek gods into this somehow. Well, I would have, and then later on, you see someone go. I love the fact that you put the Greek gods in here. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to hear about that. How? Where do they? What role do they play? A lot of stuff like that. It just 
As it is with most documentaries, there's that thing where it's like, oh, what's going to happen in the mid- in the beginning? Oh, it might not happen in the middle. Oh, yay, it happened at the end. And he even actually he bails on the Kickstarter about two-thirds of the way through the film, and then it becomes more personal. He starts talking about them, you know, going out on the street and the sword fighting and all, all that bullshit. And, it, and so you go, well... Then at the end, all of a sudden, they're like counting down the kick. We don't get a Kickstarter update for like the last 30 minutes of the movie. We find and out. And then they go, yay! Yeah, well, we find out three days out that they're 700 grand. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So this isn't really a spoiler alert in the sense that these products are available. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and the, the company's name we haven't mentioned is Dwarven Forge. And yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the movie was when he said he was trying to like register the name yes and there was like you can't make up names and it's like no these are this are, dwarven's a real word you can use mm-hmm. it it's and uh they were said he argued back and forth and then he goes it's a company you can't make up words and then um somebody says yeah yeah i remember tolkien dwarven's a uh an actual word but then my favorite part was the tag when he goes you know, I'm pretty sure companies make up their own words for the name of their All companies. The time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. And it was Microsoft. Such, but yeah, but such a great scene because it's early in the film and it gives you that that complete uh, contrast between the real world and this guy's world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He he shows up in an office of bureaucrats and goes, Wee, Dwarven Forge! Yeah. And they're like, hey, idiot. <laughs> Get a real name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amalgamated building. That's a name. <laughs> Clay idiots. That's a goddamn name. <laughs> Uh, fuck we. That's not a name. Um, well, that's interesting. So, I, yeah, I, I like. I, I guess I was really drawn into the, and I love this guy's. Um, his like, he makes a great point of, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. that sort of wasn't as popular for a while, and he's like, uh, you know, when he first put his booth up in the 90s he sold a million you know he sold all this stuff and he started his company and then in the and then the early 2000s i guess it sort of died a little bit and he goes the reason i think it's important is because we're so looking at screens all day you know we're talking on our our phones yeah we're interacting digitally he goes but this game is important to me and it was sort of he gave this sort of passion in his mission statement or whatever you want to call it about Sitting around a table interacting with people where you're storytelling, you're being creative, you find out people's personalities and how they play. And I was like, well, that's really that's yeah, really that's really cool because I mean I've been saying just in my own like I was never dungeon, but I like board games, I like Monopoly and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and even just playing cards, playing poker, I don't do that that often. I'm using games with like a $10 buy-in. It's not big stakes, but it's not about that. It's about sitting around the table with your buddies and talking and interacting and catching up or stuff like that. It's so high for Monopoly buy-in, 10 bucks. I was talking about yeah. poker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought this was a really great look at some at a person who's created his own world and doesn't have to deal with the rest of the world. Yeah, this, this is a guy mm-hmm. who... Created his own fort, right. yes. his yes. own office, uh-huh. that, yeah. with all of his... All of, it's D&D. a pillow fort. Yes, it right. literally it he really is, is. He is a forty-eight-year-old man who has created his own pillow fort, and thankfully, through his his amazing craftsmanship, the talent, and his connections, and the internet, yeah, has been able to create his own world and live in it, and not mm-hmm. have to worry. Right. You know, he's because again, even though he was funding a Kickstarter, he was funding it for love and joy. He wasn't trying to pay his rent, wasn't trying to pay his car payment. This is a guy who was trying to get a lot of money to do the thing that he loves most in the world, and people came through for him, and he's able to do it. Yeah. So in that aspect. Uh, I I love that part of it. I think that was why I was so on board with this dude because I just felt like we have been living that. And, and we've been sure. living a yes. version of that <laughs> ourselves. Like we've all done Kickstarters. We've right. all podcasting, mm-hmm. film nerds, earbuds. And I'll tell you, from doing the last Kickstarter too, I started 
kind of shopping around on Kickstarter more, and I started backing more projects because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what, this I'm going to give some give some back, and also uh, there's some really cool stuff on there, like everything from board games. There's other films. There's some cool stuff, and as I was looking at the stuff last night, like all like it's like caverns and towns and dungeons and castles. I'm like, you know, uh, I don't play Dungeons and Dragons anymore, but. I, the models are so cool. I, it's art. Yeah, I, I want to play I now. Wanna, yeah, I kind of want at least just a house or something like to, to display. They're so neat. I want to get together and yeah. play. Like, I was like, I'm in. I want to build this town and yeah. I want to have rats with swords right. fighting things. And I'm like, I'm in. Like, yeah. I wanted to. It seems really cool to me. It was. It was. It was really. You got to cool. dress up for yeah. this. I'm in. Yeah. And what's funny is what you're. What's appealing to you is. Maybe not even the Dungeons and Dragons, but as you just said, the the sense of community of getting a, gu- mm-hmm. a group of people together. Because this is a dumb thing. I like I. As I get older, I, you know, my friends have kids and they have wives and they live in their in their own lives. I rarely see anybody, and that's why I, I actually had the idea. We were talking about going out to like, and I was like, I, you know, I'd love to get a cabin and go with my friends and just hang out and go, you know, fishing or whatever. And all my friends were like, "You hate fishing. Like you, you don't want <laughs> you don't like any bears or woods or any of that nonsense." And I, I just realized I'm pining just to hang out with my friends right. for four days. You know what I mean? I don't give a fuck about the where or when. It's just, let's just find a thing to do. To do, mm-hmm. exactly. And to, a, a sense of community or something that brings us back or, or something that tethers us all back together again. You know, and I, know, I don't know if it's pining for the past or what it is, but it's, it's deeply ingrained. I'm sure some us. of it is just, you know, when you were in high school, college, your early 20s, we all just hung out. Because right. no one was married with kids and, the, and all jobs. And, and everyone all. lived in the same town. Everyone yeah. in the same yeah. town. <laughs> I just was talking about, um, I was at a, a uh, Retta, um the joke Rita the joke diva uh, who's been on the show has this birthday party every year the pink party where you gotta wear pink and I always miss it because I'm always on the road well she had it's in April she had it and I went there and ran into all these comics I hadn't seen in years and one of them brought up a great point when we were in our early 20s in LA, we saw each other every night because we were going to all the shows. Every right. night, we're going to all these shows. And everyone was having a party. Everyone, and there mm-hmm. was a party or meet mm-hmm. at this bar, and there's a barbecue this weekend, and then there's a, my friend's having a screening party, or there's a, you know what I mean? Like, I knew mm-hmm. people who, I work at Nickelodeon, I'll get, and there was always these fucking right. swanky Nickelodeon You're in party. a green room for no reason. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh-huh. Eating red vines and trying not to get noticed. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or there's like, you know, <laughs> MTV's having a, someone's having a launch or a screening, yeah. and there's free drinks, and yeah. there's appetizers, and yeah. like. At 10 o'clock, you're getting ready to go out yeah and now 10 o'clock i'm asleep yeah <laughs> and so I, I i have that same sort of pining of like that's all i guess that's why you know well a lot of that too is the fact that i don't have any kids and, and all that neither stuff. Do I, you yeah. don't have any kids you didn't you know i don't have that so you find yourself looking for a sense of community i suppose mm-hmm. i don't and know what it would be and also something to do with all that extra energy Oh my so. god, yeah. I am so energized. Good lord. I was a half asleep at El Chivo last night. The only thing to get me away, I was rage waking up. That was this thing rage waked. But that's again like and you know, we that's why we created the Podfest. That's why we did the film was to show this it is this you know, the thing I love about Podfest is it's I feel like it's a it's a high school reunion for like there's comics I see once a year. There's, you know, at PodFest because we're all busy and on the road or whatever. And that, that I dig. So 
you can kind of start your own start your own nerd camp. <laughs> so, all right. So if you're, uh, like we said, if you're in San Francisco and you're listening to this in time, come to the earbud screening tonight, 9.15 p.m. At the Roxy, Tuesday, June 7th, and also SF Doc Fest. Um, 9.15? 9.15. Tonight? Yes. Yeah. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was at 7. Nope. Nope. 7.30, I thought. Mm-hmm. Take a nap, friend. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that's changing some things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You're so, not driving back tonight, are you? Well, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but now if we get out of there, I mean, you know, I, I thought we had a 7.30, and then I was, like, debating, oh, I'll stay the night or whatever. But if I'm not going to get out of it, because I, have a, I have my, do my show tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. in L.A. So, I mean, if we get done at, by 1, 1.30... It won't be that late. Be <laughs> it will be. We're going to show it twice. Encore. Oh, no. <laughs> People leap to their feet. Oh, we must see it again. Woo! We're going to do an earbuds cosplay. Is yeah. that what we're going to do? We're going to get together and we'll play Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> I built little stages and little microphone tripods. I just, That's what I spent the night doing out of cardboard and orange skins. I just started creating a little pod fest, like a diorama. And we go, oh, look. We go, hey, we're there's the Sofitel. Oh, my God. Look, what's that, a mop? No, that's T.J. Miller. All right, yeah. let's go in the other room. Did you incorporate Greek gods? Of course. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> As long as there's va- vapor yeah. rats. <laughs> the uh, dork forest with Dionysus and Jackie Cajun. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, yeah, so 9.15 tonight, Mike. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for telling me. Um, I think it's uh, sfindiefest.com. But anyway, if you just Google SF Doc Fest, you'll see the web info if you want to see more films there. Uh, Earbuds is only screening tonight, but there's a lot of other great yes. docs. It, I don't know. It's, these SF and it's sfindie.com. sfindie.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so check that out. Uh, and of course, uh, tickets for LA PodFest September 23rd through the 25th. Mike Schmidt, where can people find you on the internet? Listen to your podcast. You guys can get me at Mike at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. You can be my friend at Facebook.com slash the 40 year old boy. You can follow me at Twitter.com slash the 40 year old boy. And the 40 year old boy podcast is available in iTunes or at Art19 slash 40 year old boy. And uh, you can listen. It comes out every week, every Thursday morning. You can also see 40-Year-Old Boy live at the L.A. PodFest September 23rd through the 25th. Will I have a code soon? Yes, you will have a code. I can't wait to give it to people. You're going to have a code soon. Codes are going out very soon. Thank you again for inviting me. It's my favorite weekend of the year. I am so excited to go back to PodFest this year, and uh, and I cannot wait. It's awesome. It's 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 a lot of fun. We've got uh, a great mix. If you go to the website of shows we... Have had in the past some new shows. Uh, we always like to keep a night, make a couple shows that haven't weren't there the last year or two and are back. Like Who Charted, we just added. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Kilgariff's um, new murder. She wrote my favorite, <laughs> my favorite murder, my favorite murder yeah. podcast. Um, May I plug one more thing? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Before that, uh, you know, I do a once a month show at the Three Clubs on Vine in Santa Monica in Hollywood. The next one is July 18th. It's called 202020. Three comics doing 20 minutes each. I'm always one of them. Uh, Graham has done the show. We had Jim Pardo last month, Jackie Cation, a lot of funny people. I don't know who's going to be there in July except me, but tickets are available at goldstar.com right now for five bucks. Just look up 202020, and uh, we're there July 18th. Cool. It's a great, it's a Three of Clubs is a really cool old bar. It's got a lot of sort of old Hollywood charm and feel to it. Uh, the, the back room where they do this show is a really cool, intimate space. Uh, I love doing the show there. I, I was, it was the first time I'd set foot in that bar in probably 10 years, and I remember doing shows there a million <laughs> years ago. Uh, so it's really cool. So check that out. And it's and, and the, why it's sort of a unique thing is longer sets are harder to come by in L.A. 
because people are usually doing five or ten minute sets. So seeing right. someone do a twenty minute set is cool. That's what I wanted to do, and I wanted mm-hmm. to have like a fun vibe, you know, like and to get, I want you guys to hang out. You know, I mean, Siegel came to see Pardo, mm-hmm. and we all hung out and made fun. Brandy Posey was there. It was just weird. It's I'm trying to get my friends, and then also new comics, and just people. I just want funny, yeah. and people can tell stories. They can be funny for twenty minutes. They can do stand up. I don't care. Just come in, be funny, and have fun. Sweet. Um, so that's our show episode. Uh, what three two four? Put it in the books. Um, and, uh, episode UDL, UDL, undisclosed location, undisclosed location at a hotel. Um, so thank you guys once again. And, uh, we'll be announcing more earbuds screenings and film festivals and stuff like that. And when is the, um, podcast movement one? I, I will be screening earbuds at podcast movement in, um, Chicago, July 7th. I will be there July 6th, 7th, and 8th, just going to various things. But we screen the movie uh, July 7th at Podcast Movement. So go to their website and get more details from that. Uh, If you're in the Chicago area, go to Podcast Movement. Um, All right. That's our show. Thanks again, Mike Schmidt. Thank you, gentlemen. Glad you uh, made the drive up. Very cool. I'm happy to do it, man. I was mm-hmm. going to come Saturday, and then it was like, eh, you know what? I'd rather do a Tuesday thing because there's a 7.30 show, and I can get out of there earlier. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, the, uh, the the show on Saturday was uh, 4.30. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Well, well, you would have missed everything. Bird, does that come a fruit cup? That's a little early bird special. I like it. <laughs> fruit cup. Uh, all right. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han shot first. El Chivo. Hey, the goat. Great.